Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Join me in Ezekiel 47. And uh, we're going to continue talking about God's powerhouse. You know, when I first came into knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I wasn't aware of how the power of God would operate. And, you know, even there for the first little while, the first couple of years as I was growing as a Christian, when certain things would happen and certain services would be some of those services where the power of God was evident on display, I would think, wow, God just just randomly chose to work that way that night. God just randomly, like it was a lightning strike that was random, you know, that it was a God power strike that just happened. But as I've grown in the word and I've come to understand more concerning the operation of God's ways, I've recognized that his power is never random. His power is never mistakenly just going off Suddenly, and people don't know what happened. Why did God move the way that he moved? Somebody was operating faith. Somebody was bringing a desire and a hunger and reaching and connecting, and there was some way a connection. We see that example in Mark chapter 5 when the woman who had the issue of blood was saying to herself, saying it with saying continually over and over, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. She got out of her house. She pressed her way through the crowd. She touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus recognized that power flowed out of him. Because she made that connection with her faith to the power. And he said to her, woman, your faith has made you whole. We saw the power in the scripture. It said he recognized power had gone out of him. Miraculous power, dunamis power. He recognized that miraculous power had gone out of him. But he said it was her faith that made it happen. So as we begin to look at the ways that the power of God is applied to situations or the power of God is activated, we know that his power flows as his spirit moves. He said, you shall receive power, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall receive the miracle worker, the Strong's Concordance goes on to say. You shall receive this power through the flow or through the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. We also know that God's word is full of power. Hebrews chapter 4 says his word is effective. It is full of power. God doesn't own an empty word. Every one of his words is a power container. And when we understand that his spirit flows with his power, his word flows with his power, it's also important for us to understand how God desires to get power distributed. When we look at electricity, we realize that we are benefiting from the electricity that is, is piped into this room through the wiring, through the electrical cords that go out of this building 
They are connected to electrical cords that lead all the way back to a substation in the vicinity where it is receiving power from the generator and distributing power throughout the city through those who are connected. And God has chosen the local church to be the substation through which he distributes his power into the earth. What God is doing on the earth in this day, in this time, he is doing through his body, the church. Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body in operation in the earth today and God's power is piped in to the church, the substation, the collection of God's saints and distributed into our homes, into our children, into our lives, into and, and influences everyone that we are in contact with. Ezekiel 47 gives us an illustration of this in talking about the water that comes out of the house of God. In verse 1, it says, Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, talking about the house of God. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right hand of the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. So there was a water that was coming from the house of God. We looked at verse 3 through 5 this morning. We'll review that. When the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. This is representative of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is symbolized very often in the Scripture as water. And the Holy Spirit flowing from the throne of God, the the power distribution of the Spirit of God flowing from the house of God is designed to increase in our lives. It's not designed to fluctuate or to go down, but designed for us to move into more and to move into more and to move into more. But we move in incrementally. We move in as we are growing, as we are uh, becoming rooted and grounded and stabilized in the things of God so that his power can flow through us in a way that is safe. But there's something else I want to see concerning this water Uh, that we didn't touch on in the morning service, he goes on to identify some of the uh, attributes of this water. Look at verse 6. Son of man, what have, uh, have you seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that lives, which moves, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. These waters are supernatural life-giving waters. 
And they're flowing in the church. They're flowing through the people of God. You are a conductor of rivers. You have more than one. Rivers of living water are available in the spirit-filled believer. So he says these waters bring healing, and whoever touches the water shall live, and there shall be a very great multitude of fish because these waters shall come thither and they shall be healed and everything shall live where the river comes. Hallelujah. Our local church is valuable to the lives of the people in our community. We are a life-giving flow of the power of God. What is taking place in our church, in our fellowship, in our coming together as the local body of Christ is supernatural, and it is bringing a blessing upon this land. It is bringing life and hope to those who will see the light and be affected by the life of God flowing from the river coming out of the house of God. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi even unto Engalam. They shall, they shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. We are preparing for the last day harvest of souls. We are in position right in the center of the United States of America. We are here in a place where we have rooted and grounded a, a territory for the glory of God. And we are in position for the end time harvest of souls. God is preparing you. He is preparing me. We are fishers of men. He's called us to save people. From, the, from their destruction. He's called us to be an influence, a salt and a light in this land. And then it goes on to say, the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall, shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. And by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for supply, for sustenance, for nutrition, for food, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf thereof for medicine. There's supply in the river. There's supply in the river. There's healing supply in the river. There's provisional supply in the river. There is, there is a provision for your relationships. There's a provision for the raising of your children. There's a provision for the wisdom that you need to train them up in the way that they should go. There is a supply for your family. There is a provision in the river. So this is a supernatural flow in the house of God that is not something that we would just be able to explain away with the natural mind. How many of you can attest to the fact that since you have sat under the word and drank out of the river of the Holy Spirit that's been flowing into your life through the local church, have you grown? Have you become better fathers, better, better husbands, better wives, better strong, stronger in your walk with God? Have you been a Affected in your personal life by the word and the flow of the anointing that's ministered to you here. Hallelujah. You can't explain that. 
You can't explain that with the mind that you are going and sitting in services and fellowshipping with other saints and explain how that changed your life. But it has because it's supernatural supply of God that is available through the house of God, available through the plan of God. Jesus chose the local church. He's the head of the church and he has established the local church to be the change agent in our lives and also in the lives of the people that we influence. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1, we were singing about the, the greatness of the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. And in Ephesians chapter 1, we find out this power connected to the name of Jesus and the position that he holds. And when we read this, it would be... Uh, it would be appropriate to see your place in Christ as you read this because God intends for you to see you in him as you see him in this verse. He does not want you to see Christ without you. And he doesn't want you to see you without Christ. We are one with Christ Jesus. We are one because he's washed us in his blood. We are one with him because he has given us new life. He has raised us out of spiritual death and made us alive unto God. And through his shed blood and through his laying down of his life, we have been made, made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We've been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away and all things are created new. We have been made in the image of God. We have been made in his likeness. We have been made righteous and holy, sanctified and set apart. And he wants us to see ourselves in Christ. In Christ I live. And so when we read this, we've got to read where we are seated together with him and find out how we got seated together. This is a portion of a prayer that's prayed in Ephesians 1. And it's an effective prayer for you to pray over yourself and to pray over your family. But in this prayer, he asks that the wisdom and revelation of God would operate in the people of the church at Ephesus. Because for them to know what belongs to them in Christ, they need to be revealed by the Spirit of God. They've got to see it with spiritual eyes. You can't, you can't understand it just in the natural. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to open it to you. And he said that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's talking about wisdom and revelation operating in your born-again spirit so that you so that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so that you may know. And then he talks about three things that every believer needs to know. First of all, that you would know what is the hope, the expectation, the earnest, eager expectation of his calling. That there's a calling for every one of us. That God has a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. He didn't save anybody and look at us and say, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. No, he saved you already. Already in you is a plan and a design because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are created with God's design and his fingerprints. The Bible says you are his handiwork. You are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. Amen. You are a, a, a designer's original because God made you with his plan in mind. And so 
For us to understand what is the hope of his calling, we've got to have the wisdom and revelation to understand it. The second thing, he said that you would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. He wants you to know what you have received by inheritance. He wants you to know the riches of the glory that belong to you as an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And it's, it, it, it has finances, but the glory of God is not limited to finances. It's the goodness of God. It's the favor of God. It's his compassion. It's his wisdom that's available to you. He wants you to know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance. But the third thing is what I want us to look at in verse 19, that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. He wants you to know the power operating in your faith. He wants you to know the effect of that power that is activated by your faith, that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards the believer According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked when he raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power working in you. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power is at work in every person who is called upon the name of Jesus. That resurrection power is at work to raise you up out of spiritual death and to bring you into the newness of life. Hallelujah. That resurrection power doesn't stop just because it's made us alive unto God. That resurrection power keeps working in our life until it seats us together in heavenly places with Christ. Look what it says next. The power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him. That resurrection power has put you in Christ. The resurrection power raised Jesus out of spiritual death, out of the grip of hell, out of the grip of, of, the, of the punishment that he was taking for our sins, raised him up and continued its operation and continued until it had placed him at the right hand of the Father, the position of authority to rule and reign with the name that is above every name. The next verse says, far above. That's where we sit Far above, far above all principality, all power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. This is the working of the resurrection power that's operative in you. This is the power that's working in you, setting you above the curse, setting you above the circumstance, setting you above the situation. You're above poverty. You're above lack. You're above sickness. You're above Denise. You're above disease. You're above and not beneath. Why? Because you've been, the resurrection power is working to put you over. It's working to cause you to rule and reign. It's working to cause the, uh, the authority that is granted to Jesus and delegated to you to be operating in your life on a natural situation against any, any, any uh, adversity that comes against you. We need the resurrection power. I've got 
Resurrection power, living on the inside, Jesus, you have given me freedom. That resurrection power is to help me in my finances. That resurrection power is to help me in my marriage. That resurrection power is to help me with my children. That resurrection power is working to help me no matter what it is I'm facing. I'm supposed to operate that power, that, uh, the power that works in those who believe. Hallelujah. And it's operating in us, not just for us personally, but for our purpose in the body, for our purpose in the work of God, for our purpose in the church. He says he has put all things under Jesus' feet. Well, Jesus is the head, so the feet are on the body. So God has put all things under the body. The feet of Jesus, which is on the body, which is us. He's put things under us. That means he's placed us in dominion. And gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. We've got to, here's here's a key for maturity. Here's a key for maturity as a believer. As I grow in Christ, I will will move from a perception of just how the word pertains to me personally, and I will will expand that perception to, to begin to see myself in the body. When we become mature believers, we aren't just thinking about us personally, we're thinking on a bigger level of the connection that we have with the body. Just like a child, when they're a little baby, all they think about is, is they're hungry. All they think about is their diapers wet. They don't care that you haven't had any sleep and they just fell asleep, right? They, they, they have their, their needs numero uno. <laughs> and everybody else, it doesn't matter what the rest of the house the schedule, the comfort, the, the atmosphere, it's all about the baby, right? Well, as, as maturity takes place, those children become more aware of their part, of their responsibilities, and they grow in their capabilities, and with those capabilities, they learn how to set the table. They learn how to clean up after themselves. They learn how to empty the trash, Amen. There are responsibilities because they see we're in a family here. And that's true about believers. We're a family. We're a family and we are, our, our authority isn't just operative in our personal life. It is, but not just for our personal life. Our authority also rolls over into our place in the family. So Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, The body is the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's filling the church. He's filling us with his authority. He's filling us with his wisdom. He's filling us with his love. He's filling us with his power, with his peace, so that we can represent him. He is the head. We are the body. He's the filler. We're the fullness. Hallelujah. With with this spiritual maturity, it, it... Uh, 
is a great example when we read what was taking place at the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians is a book where the Apostle Paul was bringing correction to some areas that they were either very zealous in or out of line in. We know from 12, 13, and 14 that they were zealous in spiritual gifts, but they were out of line because love wasn't their motive. And so he, he talked about the spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and then in chapter 13, he's explained none of those are very effective at all if you don't have love at the root of the purpose of why you're wanting to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And then he goes back in chapter 14 and says, you need to desire the spiritual gifts, but you need to have that motivation correct. And then he goes back to encouraging the moving of the Spirit in their church, but with order, with order. But do you know in chapter, in the, the book previous, and not the book previous, but the chapter previous, in chapter 11, he was also bringing correction. 1 Corinthians 11 is where he brings correction about the Lord's Supper. And he talks about the way that they were dealing with each other when it came time to eat the Lord's Supper. For instance, he says, um, let's go ahead in verse uh, chapter 11, verse 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. Divisions, and that's talking about strife, schisms, things that our uh, people are, are bantering and bickering about. And then in verse 19, for there must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is uh, not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, everyone takes before another his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Have mercy. What have you not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise you the church of God, and shame them that have not? So what's really the problem here? They're shaming people who don't have supplies to bring to the Lord's Supper. And some people are coming in and bringing a whole big chat and chew meal. Got their mugs out, got their muffins out, mugs and muffins. Not gonna have no mugs and muffins in this church. No beer and hymns either, not in this church. We are teetotalers, y'all. Not playing that game. And so they were bringing their big supply, and there's somebody else who all they could afford was, uh, you know, to bring their Ritz crackers, and they got their little Ritz crackers, and they're like, I, I, I brought my crackers, and I got my grape juice, and here they are with a big, huge loaf, and they're, they're chowing down on their loaf. Mm-hmm, ooh, this is some good sourdough. Mama done made some sourdough bread. And they're chowing down on their sourdough bread and smacking their lips, and somebody's over there eating their little cracker. So I thought we were supposed to be here honoring the Lord's Supper. And they, y'all are about getting full, right? No. So he was dealing with their approach. He was dealing with the way that they were treating each other as well as the way they were treating this time of honoring the Lord's Supper. I want to look specifically at verse 29. 
He goes through and he, the Lord Jesus, he says in verse uh, uh, 23 that Jesus personally dealt with him about the Lord's Supper and how it should be honored. And he comes and he repeats the words from the Lord about the Lord's Supper. And then in verse 29, he says, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh condemnation. I know King James uses the word damnation, but we don't have that same concept today. Condemnation would be a more appropriate translation for today. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh condemnation to himself. Why? He's not discerning the Lord's body. So let's look at the word unworthily. L-Y denotes that it's an adverb. Adverbs only deal with verbs. They only, they only speak of the verb. So it's not talking about an adjective that says you are unworthy. It didn't say if an unworthy person. It says if they eat it or drink it unworthily, how you eat it. If you say that person runs swiftly, you're talking about how they run. If you say they read swiftly or, or they read rapidly, Rapidly is talking about how fast they are reading. So if you eat or drink unworthily, you are eating. It's the manner in which you're eating and drinking that is under scrutinization here, not you as a person. So it says the way that people are partaking is a demonstration of how they discern the Lord's body. Well, he's he is talking about recognizing the bread. The broken body is represented in that bread. It represents Jesus was broken for me. So as I receive it, I'm going to receive it as the broken body of Jesus that paid for my wholeness. As I receive the shed blood, which is represented by the juice, I'm not drinking it like it's juice. Do you remember when our boys, after after we would have, but my teenage son and her teenage son were very close in years. And as soon as the church had a, a communion, they would, they would follow the ushers back to finish the grape juice and eat the rest of the crackers because they were so hungry. They were just eating crackers and drinking juice. They weren't considering this as communion. Were you there with them, Shane? I mean, you might have been the ringleader. He might have been saying, come on. Shane was there. They were not partaking of the supper. They were just eating crackers and drinking the juice that was left in the, in the cups that were unused. The unworthily does represent the, the, the broken body and the shed blood, but there's a twofold meaning in this because what's he talking about in the previous verses? He's talking about how they're treating each other. And then what does he go back to in verse 33? What does he go back to? Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. So now we're going back to the whole, the purpose. The, in context, it's not, it is referring to the honor that we give to the broken body and the shed blood, but 
if I try to say I honor the broken body, but I despise you, am I really honoring the body and the blood? Because this, you're here today because Jesus washed you in that blood. You're saved today because he was broken so that you could be made whole. So for me to really honor the body and the blood, I'm going to honor those who are purchased by the blood and not just say, oh, I honor the blood. I honor the broken body of Jesus, but I don't, I don't have time for you. That's not honor. He said the issue was with how they were dealing with each other. And he said, this is, un, this is eating and drinking unworthily because if we're not walking in love with each other, we might as well set the communion cup down, set it down and go fix the problem. He said, don't even bring an offering to the altar if you've got an issue with your brother in Christ. You stop before you offer. To, God doesn't want the offering when there's strife amongst his children. And, and nobody's got strife here, but I, our concept is the recognition that God has of the body, that we see each other as a family, that we treat each other in a, in a way that honors the blood that was shed for each other. You are God's purchased possession. You are God's redeemed just like I am. I'm not the only redeemed one in the room. We're redeemed. And so my, my maturity, my maturity begins to unfold that revelation in me that I'm discerning you as a part of the body of Christ. And I'm recognizing your place in the body. Hallelujah. So discerning the Lord's body the Weiss translation of verse 29, when it says not discerning the Lord's body, the Weiss translation says, if he does not properly evaluate the body. Evaluate, or could we even use the word esteem? Evaluate is, is talking about looking at something to discern the value of it. I'm going to evaluate this. I'm going to scrutinize it. I'm going to look it over and determine what's valuable. So we could use the word esteem as well if we're not properly esteeming each other in the body of Christ. The Amplified says, if we are not uh, without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation. Due appreciation. Hallelujah. So in verse 33, again, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. The uh, New English translation says, So my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, treat one another as honored guests by waiting one for another. Treat one another as honored guests. Glory to God. The Amplified says, wait for one another and see to it that no one is left out. So I know they're talking about the way that they were participating in the communion, but we're seeing the, the intent that discerning the Lord's body is recognizing the value of each other in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4. 
That's an important element before we move into this next part. So I, I, I took the extra time to really emphasize that as a needed element of the powerhouse of God. For God's powerhouse to be effective, he's got to have all of the pieces connected correctly. Ephesians 4, let's begin in verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Who is he? Jesus Christ. Jesus gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He, Jesus is the one responsible for the office of the apostle. Jesus is the one responsible for calling someone into the office of a prophet or the office of an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. And why? What is the purpose? What is the intent of this calling? For the perfecting of the saints. For the perfecting of the saints. Now, perfecting is a word that in the Bible means something different than we use the word perfect in our society. We use the word perfect to mean no, no flaws, no, no uh, uh, error. But the word perfect in the Bible is a word that means mature. It actually, in the original language, means to take something from the beginning to the full, complete cycle of maturity or development. So we could say for the development of the saints, for the maturing of the saints. So the fivefold ministry operating in the local church, the fivefold ministry is not called to operate in other organizations. It's called to the church. Jesus, the head of the church, established these offices and the supernatural equipment in the offices to operate in the church for the benefit of the saints so that the saints could be matured, so the saints can be developed. All of us are in stages of growth. Nobody has arrived at, their, at, at, at the end. Hallelujah, we are all, I told my daughter, we are lifelong learners. We are, we're always going to be learning and growing and developing. So this, this establishing of these equippings in the local church, in the church overall is for the maturing or the developing, the perfecting of the saints. The Amplified uses the word full equipping, full equipping of the saints for the full equipping. So you cannot become fully equipped without the supernatural supply brought through the local church. I'm not saying people can't go to heaven without attending church, but I'm saying you can't grow the way God intended for you to grow, and you can't receive what God intends for you to receive outside of his plan. If Jesus is the head of the church and he's your Lord, how can you tell him you won't commit to a local church? Glory to God. I'm helping somebody. I mean, how can we say, Jesus, you are my Lord, I submit to you, but we, we won't submit to his plan. His plan is the local church. So he says, 
for the perfecting, the maturing, the developing, the full equipping of the people of God for the work of the ministry. Every one of us are called into the work of the ministry. That doesn't mean every person is called into the five-fold ministry office listed in verse 11, but every one of us has a place in the body. Every one of us has a purpose in the family. Everyone, just even in a, in a family full of children, some of those children may not be able to be big enough to take the trash out, but they can put the forks on the table, right? They can do what they're qualified to do at that age, and there are different ones. All of us are at different places of development, but all of us have a purpose and a plan in the work of God. And so he says here, the full equipping of the saints so that they should do the work of ministering. Give me amplified again in verse 12. The perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that they should do the work of ministering toward building up Christ's body the church. Hallelujah. The pastor can't do it by himself. The pastor can't do it by himself. Pastor and two or three people can't do it by themselves. All of us, all hands on deck. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. This is a rescue ship. We're a rescue ship. We need people manning the lifeboats. We need people throwing over life preservers. We need people out looking for those who have fallen in the ocean and need to be rescued. We are a rescue ship. Amen? And so this equipping is so that we can all do our part of the work. Let's look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We usually look at this from a different aspect, but we're going to look at it tonight from the uh, understanding of our part to play in the power house of God. This is the substation of God's power. The Holy Spirit is meeting with us here. He's filling us up. He's supercharging us with his power. He's sending us out into the world, equipped to minister and represent for Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, we see, let's begin in verse 34. Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion towards them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat." He, Jesus, answered and said unto them, You give them something to eat. Give ye them to eat. And they said, Shall we go buy 200 penny worth of bread and try to break that all down and give everybody a crumb? Right? 200 penny worth of bread. We know from one of the other gospels, he said, That's not going to be enough to feed everybody. Nobody's going to get full from 200 penny worth of bread. And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they knew, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them. Now look at the miracle, but look at the participation of those who were called into the ministry. He commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. 
And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifty. So now we've got the disciples who are keeping order. They're setting people in positions. They're placing them so that there can be a distribution. And there's two lo- two loaves or five loaves and two fish. And we're setting these people down, right? We're organizing them. And when Jesus, when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples. Okay, I need some help. Brother Earl, come up here. Pastor Marie, come up here. Michelle, Aaron, would y'all come up here, please? Y'all going to be my disciples, and you can just pretend there's 12 of them. If I say 12, I might get, okay? So here's my disciples. Come over here and stand. Here's my disciples. I've got all 12. Y'all just imagine all 12 up there. And I'm Jesus. I've got thousands of people sitting here hungry with no food to eat, and I've got two, two fish and five loaves of bread, and I hold it up before the Lord, and I bless it. Father, I bless this provision in front of everybody. Everybody's seeing me take these, these five loaves of bread, and they, according to Bible theologians, they say this was a little boy's lunch. Another gospel tells us that, right? So they weren't big loaves of French bread. They were little boys' lunch bread, little, little, piece, little baguettes. He's blessed the five loaves, and now he breaks it. Has it multiplied yet? No. He just broke what he had and distributed it. Now you go and feed all those people. You go feed all those people. <laughs> <laughs> y'all see Pastor Marie take three more on the now what happened as they went the multiplication happened in the hands of the people of God it happened in the ha- he's tore his <laughs> as they were distributing Do you see the importance of the helps ministry? Do you see the importance of of the people who are helping the vision of God be distributed? Remember the flow of the water coming out of the house? It was ankle deep, but as it continued to flow, as it continued its progress, it moved up to the knees, it moved up to the waist, it moved up until there was water to swim in. The more that we are participating and helping distribute the word of God, helping distribute the bread of God's word, the more it is manifesting an increase in the body. It multiplied in the hands. Hallelujah. The Weiss translation, let me see if that's the one I want. Let me see. No, I'll tell you what I'm going to compare. I'm going to compare Matthew. In Matthew, he said, he gave the loaves, verse 19, Matthew 14, 19, Jesus gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Luke 9 and verse 16, he gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. John chapter 6, I like this one. He distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. 
So Jesus distributed. He broke what was in his hands. But when it got into the hands of the the workers in the church, when it got into the hands of the children's ministry, when it got into the hands of the youth ministry, when it got into the hands of the greeters, when it got into the hands of the worship team, they're distributing it. And it's multiplying in the, in the ushers' hands, in the, in the parking lot team's hands. It's multiplying in their hands as they're distributing it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The pastor, Jesus, provided the direction or the vision to the disciples to do the work of the ministry. And that's still the plan for today, that the the saints, the full equipping of the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry. Hallelujah. The disciples were obedient to carry out the ministry work of their leader, and God's miraculous power was released as they went. The power was released as they went. As we go, as we serve in the local church, as we minister as unto the Lord in the local church, the power is released in the nursery. The power is released at the front door. The power is released in the worship service. The power is released because it's not just up to our leader to be one who is a carrier of the vision, but he is distributing that vision so that we can distribute it further. It's Jesus' vision. It's Jesus' purpose. Jesus called Pastor Steele. Pastor Steele didn't call himself and name himself a faith builder. Jesus called him to build people's faith and to frame their world. And he entrusted to us this same vision that we get to be faith builders, that we get to carry the word of God and the light and the power of God into the lives of the people that we can touch. Hallelujah. Let's look at Acts chapter 6 and see another example of this. And this is actually a pattern for how the New Testament church will grow. This is how we are growing. This is what the more that we set ourselves in line with this pattern, the greater multiplication we're going to see in our church family. Hallelujah. 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 Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, now he didn't say it's beneath us. He said, we are responsible for distributing the word. We can't stop the preaching of the word to make sure that the widows are having their supply and provision adequately provided. So they were saying it is important, but we've got to do what we can do and what somebody can't do. You know, you can't write my next book for me. Right? There are things that, that only pastor can do that, that we can't do. So let's free him up to do what he can do. I don't want pastor to come in here and do something I could do that's taking him away from something I can't do for him. Amen? And that's what he was saying here. We've, we, are the, we are the ones that are equipped to do this, and we can't leave that to do something. So verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, 
Look ye out among ye, seven men. Now listen, this is for food distribution. Look at the requirements. Seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose, number one, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Number two, Philip. So we've got, he said, look you out, seven men. He said, seven men. We've got Stephen, we've got Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenius, Nicholas, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So this is for distributing the food, but it is, uh, it is not just distributing the food at the local food, food uh, pantry or at the Red Cross. No, this is God's ministry. And so there are spiritual requirements, and then there are impartations, because this is something that is ministering as unto the Lord. So they laid their hands on them, and verse 7 and the word of God increased. Is that what we all want? I want that with all my heart. I desire the word of God to increase in this land. I desire for more and more people to know what I know about him. I desire for more and more people to know him as a, as a way maker, to know him as a, a one who will set their lives back in order. I desire that people would know him as a sin cleanser. I desire that people would know him as, a, as the lifter of their head. I desire that people know him the way I know him. The word of God increased because there were people that were freeing up the ones who were preaching and the work was still getting done and the representation was still taking place. It says the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. So the, the multiplication of the disciples and the word increasing is how the church grows. The church is not as much about numbers as it is about making disciples. I mean, we can, we can have all kinds of really cool programs. We can have all kinds of, of, of light shows and big concerts and big things to draw crowds. But, you know, if, I don't, if we don't have the word of God getting imparted into people, we've just drawn a crowd. We're not trying to draw crowds. We're trying to make disciples. We're trying to help people see. And so that's what happened. The number of the disciples multiplied in DeSoto in Leavenworth, in, in Shawnee, in Mission, in, in Kansas City, in Olathe, in Overland Park, Lawrence, wherever you're from. Amen? You just put your name. The disciples are multiplying. So this pattern is a pattern that talks about how the church grows. Because as the church grows, there are responsibilities of things that have to take place. There are things that have to take place. I remember uh, Pastor Caldwell making this statement um, when we had our uh, first service. We actually started the services back after the lockdown in Arkansas. And he said he was, uh, he was our first speaker on the live stream and, and in that first service. And he said... Y'all need to come back to church because it takes people to run the church. 
Just standing behind the pulpit and preaching to a camera is not having church. I mean, praise God, we had the cameras available and we were able to feed and have that limited fellowship. But that's not, that's not the, the same as being in the presence of God corporately and the anointing of God ministering to us and the fellowship of the saints and the believers. Amen? So this, this pattern for the church growth is, is important and it's also important to see something else. These men who were among the seven who were chosen to help distribute food, they, through their faithfulness, they developed and grew in their capacity to minister. The very next verse speaks of Stephen, the one that it said, Stephen, full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. It says in verse 8, Stephen, this man who is distributing food, he is full of faith and power, He did great wonders and miracles among the people. His faithfulness to serve in the local church, to minister, to serve one another, ministering to the needs of the widows, this faithfulness developed in him a flow and a power of of God in his life. Hallelujah. We know, listen, Who else do you know that has an entire sermon word for word in the scripture? But his is in there. Stephen got his his whole sermon. I mean, it was was a sermon too. Chapter 7, the very next chapter from verse 2 all the way through 53, it records an entire sermon that he preached. Hallelujah. And he gave his life for the gospel. But the power of God was developed and that heart for the work of God was developed as he served in the local church. And then we also saw Philip. In the next chapter, Philip is talked about and his ministry. Here's Philip who was serving in the local church and it says in chapter 8, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many were taken with palsies that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Philip brought revival to Samaria. This is Philip who had been distributing bread. Hallelujah. Why? Because bread wasn't beneath him. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to minister wherever God needs me. And when God can find someone who has a heart to serve, when God can find someone who is willing to lay down their life and make themselves available to his plan, if you're faithful with little, God will trust you with more. He's not going to trust you with a worldwide ministry if he can't trust you in the local assembly. But when we come to the local assembly and we grow in our desire to minister unto the Lord... He will trust us with his anointings. He will trust us with his ability. The power will grow because the power supply is in the local church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God desires for us to develop faithfulness. And the only way to develop faithfulness is to serve, to to bring our faithfulness to his work. When God got ready to set David in as king, 
He found David as a shepherd. He was faithful over his father's flock. He was developed in that place of faithfulness. And in that preparation, God was able to put him in a place where he could trust him. We see Elisha was considered faithful because he was the man who poured water on the hands of Elijah. That's how he was referred to in 2 Kings 3.11. They said, we, could, we need to hear from God. Is there anybody who can help us hear from God? And they said, you know, Elisha, the one who washed Elijah's hands, we could go get him because he can hear from God. Where did he gain that anointing? Where did he prepare to carry the mantle of Elijah? Where did he prepare to carry the anointing and the purpose and the mission of Elisha? He prepared serving in the ministry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 13, a lot of times we look at the Apostle Paul and we think the Apostle Paul just stepped out of where he was persecuting the church and then suddenly, you know, he's writing two-thirds of the New Testament. But the Apostle Paul, he went and submitted himself and he, he, he went away for a while and was learning and growing and then he came and submitted himself to the church, to the leaders of the church. And he, it says in, in chapter 13 that he was at that point only a prophet and a teacher. 13.1, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Saul was a prophet and a teacher. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a sent one yet. But he was faithful in the place that he was operating as a teacher, as a prophet, as a teacher. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So the Holy Spirit says, I have called them, but you need to separate them. I have called them, but I've got leaders in the church that need to do the separating. So God did the calling and man did the separating. Does that explain why Jesus looked at John the Baptist and said, it's necessary for you to baptize me? John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. What do you mean, me baptize you? And Jesus said, it's necessary. Why was it necessary? Because God had established John the Baptist as an authority and as an authority on the earth Jesus needed to be baptized because of the, uh, the authority that God had given to John. In the same way that God called Saul, but the leaders needed to separate him. And it says, when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So it wasn't appropriate for Paul to say, God has called me. God has called me. It doesn't matter what you think. God has called me. That's not order in the church. That's not order in the body. That's, that's, that's pulling rank. That is, that is taking uh, 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 the esteem for the body and throwing it to the wind. God has order, and he has established order, 
And it is for the purpose of releasing authority. Do you remember Matthew 8? The centurion said, I understand authority. Why? Because I'm under authority. I, I can't operate authority if I'm not under authority. The only reason I have any authority to delegate is because it's been delegated to me because I'm submitted to authority. So Jesus was saying, I need to submit to the authority God has placed on the earth. It's necessary for you to baptize me. And that position is a protection. It's a protection. I've seen so many people who had a legitimate call of God and an anointing of God upon their life throw it away because they move out of a place where they want to answer to authority. They don't want anybody else to have a yes or a no vote in their life. They don't want to submit to anybody. And they want to say, I'm called, I'm anointed, so I don't need you to tell me what to do. You need someone to protect you. You need someone who can say, listen, God has not put peace in my heart about it. Not control you. Nobody's, nobody's called to control you, but God has order. Amen. And if we're not submitted to order, we will abort the plan and purpose of God on our life. If we don't stay in a position where God can recognize through our leaders the call of God and help us and, and in, in implement into our lives the necessary impartations... That person can have a legitimate call and a legitimate anointing and it be aborted. It be abandoned because they refuse to submit to authority. God called, but he delegated to the church leadership to separate. Jesus said, it's necessary for John to baptize me. Matthew 10 Verse 40, do you see why we need the local church? Do you see the protection in the local church? Do you see that when I'm connected and I'm submitted correctly that the power can flow through me? The power can increase in my life? Matthew 10, 40, he that receives you receives me. And he that receives me receives him that sent me. Why? Jesus was under authority. He says, I'm sent. I'm sent. And as long as I am doing the one, the bidding of the one who sent me, the one who's delegated authority to me, then you can receive from God because he sent me. But let me tell you what else that means. That means when Jesus sends, then in the one that he sends, they're representing Jesus. When Pastor Steele, as the pastor, he is sent and set in place as the pastor. So we, we receive him, he, not as a controlling, not as someone who dictates our life, but when he speaks, Jesus can speak through him to me. Jesus can minister through him to me because he's representing Jesus. Can I take it a step further? When Dave Smart preaches on Wednesday night, it's not Dave Smart. Pastor Steele called Dave Smart, called Jim Molson, called uh, uh, Ron Poole to, to 
help assist ministering when, when the Washingtons are ministering in the children's ministry. Pastor is in the children's ministry because he set them. He sent them. He delegated and authorized them. So for you to say, I don't want to go on Wednesday night because it's not pastor. It's pastor. It's pastor through Dave Smart. It's pa- if, if they weren't authorized, if they weren't sent, if they weren't established under his authority, then they wouldn't have anything to say. But because they are, there's anointing on what they're going to say to you. And if you'll come with ears to hear your pastor... It doesn't matter, as long as he sent them, as long as he established them, they're anointed to speak into your life because of the uh, submitting. Hallelujah. Let's look at the other version of this in John 13, 20. Because it goes, goes back to esteeming the body and recognizing this is a spiritual law John 13, 20. Ooh, don't you feel the church growing? We're getting, we're, we're getting, getting miracle grow here. 13, 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receives whomsoever I send <laughs> receives me. And he that receives me receives him that sent me. Whomsoever I send, this is spiritual law. And you know, when there was a division in the New Testament church, they were arguing over which preacher they liked better. I'm with Paul. And the other one said, I'm with Apollos. And Paul was saying, it doesn't matter. It's the gospel. It's the plan of God. It's the purpose. It's the one who sent. Pastor guards... What goes into your lives and into your children's lives and into your youth, your youth, the, the youth of this church to make sure that it's in line with the vision. And if you're feeding vision food, you're safe to grow. Amen? It's not about personality. And the more we grow and mature as believers, we'll recognize it's not my place to say I don't like that personality because I'm not coming to feed your personality. I'm coming to feed on the word. So if you don't make me shout, I can still eat. As long as you're preaching the word, I can eat. Hallelujah. And pastor wants you here whether he's here or not. If, if pastor would love to be in every service, in every location, every time, because he just loves us. But he knows that to expand, he's got to operate a specific way, and the purpose is that God raises up people with the vision to help impart the vision. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Grow, baby. We'll start stopping. <laughs> how, many, how many closings do I get tonight? Numbers 27. Let me see if I can find a jumping off point here. Numbers 27. 
You've got to see the vision farther than just the immediate surrounding. You've got to, you've got to see the panoramic picture. You've got to see the bigger picture. You've got to see the eternal value in what we're doing. Numbers 27, verse 18, The Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand upon him, and set him before Eliezer the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And you shall put some of your honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Hallelujah. Now what qualified Elisha for Elijah's anointing and mantle? He said, if you see me as I go. One translation says, if you can see as I see. If you can carry the vision. Because the anointing is not for a different vision. The anointing that Elijah carried, Elisha completed. The purpose for the anointing, the assignment for that mantle, he continued and completed what Elijah had started. And so God tells Moses to put some of the honor to impart into him of his spirit. And then it says over in Joshua chapter 11, this is important because this is us. Pastor has trusted us to serve in his local vision, the vision for the church. He has entrusted us to serve in this ministry. And some people say, oh, you mean that little rock church on the corner? They don't know what we're doing. They don't know how we are reaching around the world from this little rock church on the corner in DeSoto. They don't know that we're preaching in Spain, that we're preaching in Mexico, that we're preaching in all of these places out of this little rock church. Because one minister said, y'all are like the iceberg. You see this little tip up above the water, but underneath it's massive. And what people don't see about this ministry from the first view, they don't see how massive and far-reaching the anointing is taking place through this ministry. Amen. Joshua eleven fifteen. As the Lord commanded Moses, his servant, so did Moses command Joshua... And so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. And that needs to be the heart cry of every faith builder. Let me carry on and carry out the vision that you have given to our pastor. Let us, the vision that Jesus has entrusted to this church, let me be a carrier of it. Let me be a doer of it. Amen? Praise God, because we're the powerhouse. We're the powerhouse. We're the powerhouse. What God's going to do in this day, he's going to do through the local church. What God's going to do in the days to come, the outpouring is going to come to the local church, and the harvest is going to come. The souls are going to be brought into the church. Hallelujah. So we've got discipleship that's going to take place. We've got learning. We've, we, need, we need an army to go into the prison. Amen. 
We need an army. The prisons are about to open back up to us, and we need to send our group back in to minister in the prison. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for trusting us with your vision. Thank you, Lord, for placing within our church family your assignment, your anointings, your equippings. Say this with me. Father, I submit to my part of this plan. Show me how I can put my hands to work in your field. Make me understand the importance of my place in the church. In Jesus' name, praise the Lord. Have you received tonight?